um, and so on and so forth. That was one particular period in his life, the 19, early 1980s. His, his career, of course, went on here in India, and he was known by Osho after that, uh, as opposed to Rajneesh. If you can see the books that are like this to the left, is it your left, or is it... Yeah, it's the left, right, of, um, of the big bookshelf. Those are all the Osho books. Anyway, so we, we connected over, over our mutual love of, of uh, the great masters of India, initially. And, uh, yeah, well, I, you know, I, I'm not here to go on about that. I've already gone on for six minutes, but um, one of her teachers long-time respected teacher of her and her family, her mother um, and father uh, all lovingly refer to him as Guruji. So he's coming over today. So I woke up, someone rang the doorbell and it's 7.30 a.m. but I just can't sleep. I'm just, you know, thinking about today. It's a big deal. But she's sleeping, so I'm keeping quiet. But I also, this was pre-planned. I thought it would be fun to record in a hushed tone in the morning, just to mix it up a bit. Welcome to episode 14, if this is your first time seeing me. Now that you've heard me drone on for all this time, uh, I strongly recommend, instead of watching this, watch uh, to click here and to start with episode one of the Dhammapada. But if you're definitely here for the Lotus Sutra, but you'd rather start at episode one as opposed to episode 14, then click here. So, oh, the other thing is I'm uh, interviewing, um, doing a simulcast with Praxis Behind the Obscure. And uh, that's, that's my friend Ryan's podcast. My podcast is the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. Um, and so we're going to be interviewing or having a conversation with uh, a gentleman named David Wright today and uh, so there's just a lot going on today so sometimes when there's when it's an exciting day it's hard for me to get myself to go back to sleep once I've been woken up so I only got about oh I don't know less than four hours sleep so surely I'll be taking a nap around noon uh, all that stuff isn't happening until later today like six so let's jump in with the reading shall we <clears throat> so you remember last time he explained the uh, the deer cart the uh, goat cart and the the bullock cart so if you saw that then You'll remember that. All right. In the same manner... Oh, Shariputra is not the Buddha's cousin. I mentioned last time, I said Shariputra, the cousin of the Buddha. Ananda was the cousin of the Buddha. Uh, he features prominently in... I think I have one card left in episode 77 of the Esoteric Nerd podcast. In other words, the, um, the Suryangama Sutra, volume 8... Uh, the Buddha is speaking primarily to Ananda, um, where Shariputra is speaking to in the Heart Sutra and the Lotus Sutra and um, other sutras, no doubt, that we'll get to. So Shariputra, 
was a principal disciple, I think his first disciple. If I'm not mistaken, then that would probably mean he was among those ascetics that he was with at the beginning of his meditations, but uh, maybe not. I'm not sure about that. I know some of those guys, if not all of them, became disciples. Uh, they were the ones, if you know the story, or you've seen you know, a cartoon version of it or something, when uh, they were all starving themselves, basically eating you know, bird poo and whatever happened to fall on them from the tree above. And then at one point, the Buddha, a woman offered him rice, and he took it. And the other ascetics said, oh, you have left the path. Okay. And they turned their back and walked away. And, uh, but the Buddha was, that was when he was really on the path, was he realized balance is the way, not, you know, before he was, uh, I don't know if his, if he ever got to be king, if his father ever actually passed away, or if he was still prince royal, uh, Siddhartha. He went from being prince to being an ascetic who was starving, and then, uh, then he found the middle way of, it's okay to have rice if someone gives you rice, you know. <clears throat> so those ascetics that he was with before became his disciples, if I recall correctly. Anyway, okay. In the same manner, Shariputra, as that man, on seeing his children, escaped from the burning house, and knowing them safely and happily rescued and out of danger, in the consciousness of his great wealth, gives the boys one single grand card. So too, Shariputra, the Tathagata, the Arhat, on seeing many coaches of beings recovered from the triple world, released from sorrow, fear, terror, and calamity, having escaped owing to the command of the Tathagata, delivered from all fears, calamities, and difficulties, and having reached the bliss of Nirvana, so too, Shariputra, the Tathagata, the Arhat, considering that he possesses great wealth of knowledge, power, and absence of hesitation, and that all beings are his children, leads them by no other vehicle but the Buddha vehicle to full development. Okay, so, so when he, previously when he was saying the Buddha vehicle is the one true vehicle, he's referring to the Bodhisattva path, the Bodhisattva vehicle, right? And which Bodhisattvahood leads to Buddhahood. So this, these are the new things that developed within Mahayana, where the, uh, the old Dhammapada was just kind of to the point about Buddha means awake. So if you want to be awake, this is how to wake up. But this is saying, if you want to be Buddha or awake, then you take a vow to not attain nirvana until you wake up everyone else. Basically, the emphasis on compassion. One of the criticisms uh, leveled at Buddhism, especially from people coming from a Christian background, is, uh, you know, the idea of just not being attached to anything or anyone, well, gee, sounds like heartless. So you don't care if your child dies, you don't care, you know, if your your loved ones die, you know, like, geez, what an evil path that's teaching you not to love. 
And um, as I mentioned, when we were reading Dhammapada, they did say the words, you know, don't love, basically. But they also said, have compassion. So Mahayana is emphasizing, possibly because of the influence of early Christianity, emphasizing compassion a lot by... Um, Gosh, is that motor louder than I am? I hope not. I think it probably is, looking at the... Well, anyway. Um, so the whole bodhisattva path, the whole idea of becoming a bodhisattva, of not attaining nirvana until you've liberated all the other beings, um, and that emphasis on compassion, Avalokiteshvara, as the embodiment of compassion. I'll bring Avalokiteshvara over here uh, later on. I don't know if he's going to be mentioned in um, in this sutra. He's the one that became Kuan Yin and uh, and Canon. And uh, Kuan Yin in, in China and Canon in Japan. Goddesses. You, you can see this as Canon uh, in that image on the Kakejiku. Uh, this is from the Canon, one of the Canon if there's more than one canon pilgrimages pilgrimages to temples in Japan that uh, with a particular emphasis on canon okay senju canon uh, meaning thousand armed canon when uh, um, one, one saying is when when you're asleep and, uh, and, you know, your neck is kind of out of, you know, alignment. And then as if an arm, it's your arm. But like when you're asleep and subconsciously your arm just brings the pillow where it should be so that your neck is more comfortable. They say that that is one of the thousand arms of Senju Canon. So that compassion, the compassionate one is sort of... Canon or Avalokiteshvara is held up as the example of the ultimate bodhisattva. And Chenrezig in Tibetan, <coughs> within the, is it the Gukpa, shoot, Gel, well anyway, the yellow hat lineage of uh, monastic Tibetan Buddhism uh, is the, the school which the, the Dalai Lama is the head of traditionally. So he's said to be the incarnation of Chenrezig in that school. <coughs> At one point, there were two uh, Chenrezigs in Tibet. So that, you know, you, you, there can only be one, you know, like the Highlander or something. So one of them had to flee to Bhutan, and he became known as the great unifier in Bhutan and brought, um, you know, what could be considered Tibetan Buddhism, Vajrayana, the Tibetan form of Vajrayana, into Bhutan, and then it became Bhutanese Buddhism. But they don't—they're not offended if you call it Tibetan Buddhism because they—they acknowledge, yeah, of course, it came from Tibet. But one of the other things the Great Unifier did was help them to organize an army to fight off the invading Tibetans. So there is a difference. Uh, the clear difference between Bhutan and Tibet, but there's also a lot of similarity. <coughs> okay, where are we? 
little sidebar about Mahayana and Bodhisattva uh, coming from a non-critical place, but an explanatory place. Okay, so the Buddha vehicle, where, where were we? Mm -hmm. Sorry about these uh, points in the series where I have to figure out where I was. Right, okay. But he does not teach a particular nirvana for each being. He causes all beings to reach complete nirvana by means of the complete nirvana of the Tathagata. And those beings, Shariputra, who are delivered from the triple world, again, past, present, future, to them, the Tathagata gives as toys to amuse themselves with the lofty pleasures of the Aryas, the pleasures of meditation, emancipation, self-concentration, and its toys, and its results, excuse me, toys, all of the same kind. Wow, actually, I really like that, I have to admit. So the path, the shape of the path, the particulars of the path, what sutra it is that you're reading, and whether or not it's historically accurate to uh, the life of the Buddha, let's say, are toys. There's something for you to play with while you're on the path toward enlightenment. The important thing is that you're on the path to become bodhisattva with such great compassion in your heart that it's not just about your enlightenment, it's about the enlightenment of the entire universe. Which, I mean, not just from a, from a Christian perspective. Wow, that's probably really loud for you guys, huh? Um, not just from a Christian perspective, but, you know, from a, from a hermetic uh, perspective, from a, I guess it's still Christian uh, perspective, you know, like a Western esoteric perspective. And uh, and an Eastern, you know, to break things down into East and West very sloppily. Come on, you know, the world is the world. East of what? West of what? You know. Um, but yeah, in in certain, in not 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 all of Indian philosophy and not all of European philosophy, but in the parts that I resonate with and like. Uh, there's that idea of sort of the holographic universe. I mean, I'll clarify, I'm not talking about the matrix or something. I'm talking about the idea that <clears throat> each part contains the whole, much the same way as a seed contains the entire tree. So it's not just that, you know, you are a drop of water from the ocean that is God. That you are a drop of water, yes, but in that drop of water is the whole ocean itself. So it makes logical sense to have great compassion for all beings rather than for you, the little you, the little me, the little Edward, to be concerned only with his own escape. And yet, at least the way it's taught in Vajrayana, um, that personal liberation, that Theravada-type liberation, is a prerequisite for the more Mahayana-oriented, because um, it's kind of like putting the cart before the horse, to use these cart metaphors, to, to go from being bogged down in 
the mundane and far from enlightened and without any kind of meditative practice or any kind of um, uh, clue about how to attain enlightenment, if you will, to use that phrase, or nirvana, to go from there to wanting to be a bodhisattva can can maybe even be like sort of problematic because then you have someone whose ego is shaped like Mahayana Buddhism basically where um, if you have somebody who legitimately and uh, sincerely walks the path of the of the Theravada Buddhist of as much as they can you know, not everybody's going to become a monk, but the monks weren't just preaching to other monks and recruiting other monks back in Buddha's time. They were talking to the people, people with lives, people with families, people with uh, jobs, you know, about how they can attain enlightenment. And sort of back then what would have been considered the quick way would have been to renounce all things and to become a monk. <clears throat> but that that's kind of a prerequisite for you know being on the bodhisattva path I think and the Vajrayana Buddhists agree with me on that I don't know if uh, the Lotus Sutra does maybe he'll say something to that effect later on okay all toys all of the same kind even the bugs are back. Not even the bugs are back. Even came from here. The bugs are back came from me. It was so cold in like early February and January that I didn't see one single insect of any kind for like months here in Delhi. And now you might have seen, you know, see me doing this. And, you know, it's a little something flying in front of my face. Even as that man, Shariputra, cannot be said to have told a falsehood for having held out to those boys the prospect of the three vehicles and given to all of them but one great vehicle, a magnificent vehicle made of seven precious substances decorated with all sorts of ornaments, a vehicle of one kind, the most egregious of all, so too, Shariputra. The Tathagata, the Arhat, tells no falsehood when by an able device he first holds forth three vehicles and afterwards leads all to complete nirvana by the one great vehicle. For the Tathagata, Shariputra, who is rich in treasures and storehouses of abundant knowledge, powers, and absence of hesitation, is able to teach all beings the law which is connected with the knowledge of the all-knowing. In this way, Shariputra, one has to understand how the Tathagata, by an able device and direction, shows but one vehicle, the great vehicle, which if you translate into Sanskrit is Mahayana, the great vehicle, right? Defining it right here. <clears throat> and on that occasion, the Lord uttered the following stanzas. A man has an old house, large, but very infirm, 
Its terraces are decaying and the columns rotten at their bases. The windows and balconies are partly ruined. The wall as well as its coverings and plaster decaying. The coping shows rents from age. That probably made sense at one point in history. The thatch is everywhere pierced with holes. In India here, I th I've mentioned it before, but they, in, in a lot of ways, um, the English here is old-fashioned. The best example that I can give someone in one of the main, you know, five, the, the English-speaking world, like in the sense of where English came from and then the places where English people went and <laughs> displaced and I don't want to bring up genocide, make everybody feel like shit, you know, but you know, you know who you are, Americans, Canadians, Australians, and so forth. Um, it completely replaced the original people that were on the land. I came from California, so I grew up with that feeling of like not really being where I'm from. I had an old house that was my, my ancestors had lived in, and prior to them, it was Mexico, and prior to that, it was, you know, Someone else lived there, completely different people. And uh, it's a weird feeling. Like a lot of those, uh, a lot of those movies like Pet Cemetery, where the whole premise, or The Shining, you know, in the subtext, where the, sh where the premise is that it's, it's like cursed because it's, everybody's on an Indian burial ground, what they called back then an Indian burial ground, First Nations or Native American. Um, yeah, it's like the whole country. I mean, I don't mean this isn't what this is about, but one one of the things that drew me to India or that made me not hesitate to relocate here is especially being part of a family that's from near Bodh Gaya, near Bihar, and not only that, but you know, of the same caste as Krishna. I didn't didn't marry her for her caste or ethnicity, but it definitely didn't hurt. Uh, you know. Uh, but the idea of being able to be kind of adopted into a uh, a people who belong where they are, <laughs> you know, it's it's an unfamiliar feeling uh, for me as a former American. On paper, I'm still a citizen, but anyway. Um, I went far afield from what I was saying. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll remember what my point was. I'll just keep reading. I'm coming up on 27 minutes now. Uh, to do uh, the windows with holes. It is inhabited by no less than 500 beings, containing many cells and, and closets filled with excrements and disgusting. Yeah, at times it kind of was. I wasn't very good at upkeep, and neither was my great-grandfather, which will give you an idea of the condition of the house that I uh, grew up in. So this, this, this parable is kind of close to home for me. Um, and on that occasion, the Lord uttered... Oh, no, okay. <clears throat> its roof rafters are wholly ruined, the walls and partitions crumbling away, Coates of vultures nestle in it, as well as doves, owls, and other birds. 
There are in every corner dreadful snakes. Okay, my, my place wasn't that bad, although we did have like a million pigeons in the attic at one point um, when I was a teenager. Uh, my, both my parents died when I was a teenager, so I ended up as master of the house at an age when a person shouldn't be master of anything, you know. And uh, so it very quickly got worse and I let all my friends move in. Oh, you can imagine how bad it got. But the people who were there, the people who lived there during that year, they all remember that as a very special year. A bunch of kids, oh man, it was like, the, you know, Lord of the Flies or something. Not, not exactly Lord of the Flies, but I can't think of a good example because it was a very unique time and place and situation. Roof. Oh well, I'll have to. I'll, I'll mute the sound on that throat clearing. Probably go through and uh, adjust the sound here. Let me just finish the sentence because we're past thirty minutes now. Um, its roof rafters are wholly ruined. The walls and partitions crumbling away. Coatings of vultures nestle in it, as well as doves, owls, and other birds. Yeah, doves, close, close relative of pigeons. I think pigeons are a type of dove, aren't they? Um, pigeons uh, were a kind of dove that were native to these long gray cliffs in Wales, I think. And so for them, our concrete roads are like, they just feel right at home. <laughs> so <laughs> as people, people, as people have gone around and paved the world, um, the pigeons came along with them, the British, you know, whales. Anyway, there was a point I was making, and I feel like I feel like I, I lost track of it when I started going on about British colonization. But um, anyway, yeah, as I as I rewatch this and edit it, I'll make a note, and in part fifteen, I'll complete that thought. So, until next time. If you remember what I was saying, then maybe maybe it was self-evident if you're sort of on that wavelength already. Um, I hope you enjoyed this unusual episode of me talking very quietly, sort of an ASMR version of my Buddhist books recordings. And, uh, all right, well, until next time. Hope you enjoy those links that I posted, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful day, whatever day it is that you're watching this. Perhaps in the far future, who knows? To the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us, and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace.